Welcome to Spelunking with Plato, a podcast devoted to conversations about liberal education, hosted by the University of St. Thomas's School of Arts and Sciences. Here, students and faculty are called through the light of faith and the Catholic intellectual tradition to ascend from Plato's cave, bringing others with them to a vision of the good and the life of human flourishing. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's a great pleasure to have a conversation with Dr. Marela Oliva. Um, she is a professor here at the University of St. Thomas, holding the Rudman Endowed Chair of Philosophy. Uh, she lives institutionally in the Department of Philosophy and the Center for Thomistic Studies. Um, she earned her PhD from the University of Freiburg, but also studied in Bucharest, Rome, and Tübingen. Um, when you see her CV, there's an enormous range of work covering a wide variety of topics. And so, uh, could you say a bit about, about the work you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It is a pleasure to uh, be here, and uh, especially uh, now in the Christmas time, uh, we are celebrating the mystery of birth and life, and uh, philosophy has a lot to say about it. <laughs> so I, um, I'm very uh, pleased to be here today. Sure. Um, well, and it's it's a great it's a great pleasure. Uh, you know, when people hear that someone is a philosopher. Mm -hmm. um, it's, there's, there are often quite uh, a variety of responses, right? They don't, mm -hmm. um, they don't really know what that is exactly. Um, uh, some people might have um, ideas about the history of philosophy or Socrates wandering around in a public square asking annoying questions, things of that sort. Um, could you say a bit about your work as a, as a scholar and a philosopher? Sure, yes. Uh, as you have mentioned, I have studied in many places. Uh, very different from each other. I studied in Bucharest, I studied in Rome, uh, in Tübingen, in Freiburg. Uh, then I came to United States. I was a postdoc fellow at Boston College. And uh, finally, I moved to uh, Houston. So uh, two continents, uh, several different countries, different uh, uh, mentalities. Uh, and this, of course, was uh, extremely uh, enriching for my education because I got to um, know different styles of teaching, uh, even different styles of doing philosophy. Uh, for instance, in Romania at that time when I was a student, um, the French style, uh, very historical, but at the same time very uh, literary, very poetic, uh, was the norm, uh, whereas in Germany, the style was much more analytical. So uh, my work somehow moved mm. uh, between these uh, two poles, the uh, Latin uh, literary uh, pole on the one hand and the uh, more analytical rigorous uh, pole um, of the uh, German tradition. Uh, and I studied uh, philosophy and political sciences. Uh, I was um, very interested in political philosophy. Um, I uh, wrote a BA thesis in political sciences on Jacques Maritain's political thought. And then uh, I uh, decided to focus my um, studies on philosophy. And I moved to philosophy of religion, writing a dissertation at the University of Freiburg about the uh, relationship between mental language and divine mind in the medievals and uh, the German contemporary philosopher Hans Georg Gadamer. So uh, let's say that my uh, upper academic career has focused mainly on philosophy of religion. And uh, I was, as a 
Catholic philosopher, I was interested to um, blend uh, revealed data with philosophical reflection, because the concept of mental language uh, was a concept introduced by Augustine uh, and St. Thomas Aquinas to um, give an intelligible account of the Holy Trinity. So the mental language was for them uh, and sort of um, uh, analogy term uh, with the uh, inner Trinitarian processions. Yeah. Well, that's, is that largely treated in, uh, in Augustine's uh, uh, on the, his work on the Trinity? Is right. That, that's where, yes. Yeah. And then uh, Aquinas uh, took it over and he uh, articulated the topic in his manner, as we all know, very right. systematic, very right. uh, analytical. Uh, so here again, uh, also in, in this work, I was moving between the, you know, the literary kind of style to the more analytic uh, style, even in talking about the uh, verbum yeah. Well, it, you know, just this past week we had a, there was a dissertation defense here on Marathon. And so right. I knew you were on the committee, but I didn't sure. realize you had done work on it um, earlier on. Right. Um, yeah. that, that's very, so, so Marathon and then Gadamer. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, that's intriguing. Well, one of the things that we talked about before um, uh, we came here today, uh, you know, was um, I thought if there, if there were ever a, a guest that I could ask about the cave, the allegory of the cave, which is this, the whole title of our mm -hmm. podcast is about, um, it would be you uh, as, a, as, a, as a practicing philosopher. Could you say a bit about, about the cave, the allegory of the cave and how you understand it and its relationship to the project, you know, philosophically from a, whatever perspective you want to take, mm -hmm. but I'm also particularly interested as a metaphor for the teaching education and um, so, yeah, what, how, how do you understand it and, and how, how, do, how does it relate to the work we do as, as teachers? Yeah, sure. The myth of the cave is uh, one of the best sellers, if yeah. I can put it that sure. way, in my yeah. class. Uh, it's very um, uh, loved by students. Uh, probably it speaks to their um, human search for truth. Uh, it's an existential parable about human condition. At least that's how I read it and that's how I um, introduce it to students. Um, the story is uh, pretty simple. Um, it's uh, about uh, prisoners uh, chained in a cave down in the underground. Uh, they are uh, facing a wall. Uh, they cannot turn their heads. Uh, behind them, there is a fire. And uh, then there is a, a road with a little uh, wall. And on this road, there are uh, puppeteers who are moving artifacts, which are copies of things. Uh, these artifacts are making... Uh, uh, are projected uh, on the wall that prisoners face. So the bottom line is that the prisoners do not see uh, the objects, but they only see uh, their shadows on the wall. Uh, in order for them to see the objects, they should uh, break free. And moreover, to even uh, ascend to the real uh, nature of those uh, artifacts, to, to the, you know, the, the origin of, uh, of those artifacts, they should uh, go out of the cave and uh, see true reality. So this whole story is for Plato, um, an illustration of human condition uh, in the sense that we um, often are uh, chained by our comfort, uh, by illusions or obstacles, and uh, we don't see uh, through reality, we only see shadows. And in order for us to 
live a good life. Uh, we should break free from these obstacles and try to um, ascend to true reality, which for Plato uh, means the essences of things and even above that, the um, the highest ideas, uh, Plato calls these essences ideas or forms, and the highest ideas are the truth, uh, the beautiful, and uh, the good, uh, with the good being really the chief idea, the core principle of the whole reality. So this is the story, and uh, I think what, um, uh, what really appeals to students uh, is uh, this sort of um, routine kind of um, uh, enchantment that we all have in one way or another. You don't have to be a bad person or a right. less intelligent person to be in a cave. Right. Uh, everybody can be in a cave. A good person can be in a cave. A very intelligent person can be in a cave as well. So uh, we all have this, uh, this problem. And uh, in order for us to, to um, uh, overcome uh, our mistakes, our failures to see reality, um, our um, weaknesses, uh, we have to engage in a process of knowledge. So knowledge at the end, uh, and the lesson of the cave is that uh, knowledge uh, basically leads you to a better life. So there is um, a relationship between the good life understood also in a moral sense on the one hand and knowledge on the other hand. Right. Well, and do you find, um, do you find the students, do you ever have any sort of contrarian students who say, you know, I, I really like being in the cave. I don't want to leave. Um, I'm not up to this. I'm thinking here of the, of the, the, the sort of the vice of, of, of Achadia that, mm -hmm. that says, you know, I really don't, we think of it as kind of laziness or sloth, but it, mm -hmm. there's a much deeper meaning that I'm thinking of Joseph Pieper's understanding of it. And mm -hmm. we, we were in a sense rejecting that to which we've been called by God, the kind mm -hmm. of flourishing we've been called to, but it is just too much. And we would just rather mm -hmm. have, have peace and comfort. And, and maybe that's the cave. Or are our students, our students, students still kind of engaging with this heroic, we're going to get out mm -hmm. of the cave. You know, what, what's, what, what do you find? I had students who thought that uh, Socrates was uh, guilty in his mm. trial. Uh, okay. But of course, that's a different matter. But I don't remember any student to <laughs> say, actually, I would like to stay in the cave. I would rather be in the cave than right. uh, mm. be enlightened. Um, Maybe now, there's hope. Maybe we have some hope then. <laughs> right. Yes. And of course, keep in mind that I'm using the Socratic method. And right. as you know, uh, Socrates is very um, uh, sneaky in yeah, exactly. <laughs> directing his uh, uh, conversation partners towards the truth right. uh, through themselves, but still uh, keeping the truth in mind. So yeah. uh, I don't know how much of this is, uh, you know, in, in the style in which I am conducting the teaching sure. of the myth of the cave. Because I'm just thinking, you know, the cave, I mean, if we mm -hmm. made a few modifications, like mm -hmm. more comfortable furniture, you know, if you weren't really chained, you could move mm -hmm. around a little bit, had good food, maybe some mm -hmm. Wi-Fi, 
mean, do we really have to leave the cave? I mean, really, I mean, it's just, there's entertainment, you know, there's, mm -hmm. it doesn't rain on you. It's, you got shelter, you've got community, you know, so why leave? Comfort always comes with a price. And here uh, I um, uh, usually discuss Truman Show, um, mm. a movie um, starring uh, Jim Carrey. Right. Uh, Truman Show is a movie about uh, the ease of comfort. Uh, right. Truman has been adopted since he was a child by a producer of a reality show. He has been put on this reality show without being told that that's not true reality, but it's a fake uh, reality. Right. And uh, the point that the producer is trying to make uh, throughout the show is that Truman will always choose what is more comfortable uh, above what is hard to get. Right. And I have to say, uh, at many points in the movie, the producer is right because mm -hmm. uh, in several moments Truman does show does uh, choose the comfort, especially when he is challenged and he has to overcome big obstacles. Uh, for instance, he uh, falls in love with a woman. Uh, the producer is uh, moving her way to challenge um, Truman. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's trying to get to her, but at a certain point, he has to cross a water and he has water phobia. Mm. And he stops. Interesting. And he uh, ends up marrying a different woman mm. who is very easy to get. Uh, it's, uh, of course, not an authentic marriage because he doesn't love her the right. way he loved the other woman. But he was not able at that moment to overcome mm. that obstacle, right? Uh, however, the movie, I mean, I don't want to spoil the plot uh, <laughs> to our uh, audience, but uh, uh, the movie will eventually have a happy end because Truman uh, will um, progressively realize that that's not mm. true uh, reality and will mm. be able to break free from the reality show precisely by crossing the water. So at the end, this whole metaphor of the water phobia is, uh, you know, the light motive of the movie and he is mm. breaking free and he uh, also reunites with the woman he truly loves. Interesting. So uh, that's, you know, uh, the life he, he has in the reality show is extremely easy. He has a great job, uh, a wife uh, who mm. literally falls into his arms and, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, everything is easy for him until he realizes mm. that all these, uh, you know, comfort um, uh, aspects were fake. Right, right. Well, and if I remember, there's a, there's a, a, um, a passage around that allegory, the cave, mm -hmm. where the person who, who is out of the cave comes mm -hmm. back in. But um, having come back in, his or her eyes are haven't adjusted to the darkness and mm -hmm. it's kind of stumbling around, right? Mm -hmm. And people are making fun of it because that person, they're not... He, they're not as good at the game of, mm -hmm. of identifying the shadows as they used to be. Mm -hmm. So see, I mean, this is, you don't want to leave the cave because you won't be as good at, you know, these things. Um, do you think other philosophers think of philosophy or education this way, or is it just those who are sort of tuned into the classical approach or is there sort of an anti-cave approach um, among philosophers? I mean, do we still believe mm -hmm. there's a reality to be discovered? Nowadays, uh, a lot of philosophers uh, would perhaps um, deny uh, Plato's idea of reality. They would hold the physicalist, materialist approach. Mm. Uh, they would deny we even have a soul. Um, so yes, there are philosophers in our contemporary mm. um, environment who would uh, uh, not follow 
plateau and he's yeah. made of the cave. But the um, uh, our students, our audience, uh, you know, our um, uh, even people outside the school, when I talk to other uh, friends and they're asking me about philosophy, they're asking me about the cave, right. uh, people are actually interested in, in this. And my daughter just read The Myth of the Cave in the first week of school in ninth grade at oh, high wow. school. So <laughs> it, it's a very popular um, story to read. Yeah, well, that, that, that's great. Well, and I, I, I've, um, uh, I read, we read the, the, the allegory last year with the division deans in arts and sciences. And, um, uh, the, I basically said, you know, as the new, as the new Dean of mm. the school of arts and sciences, I said, I said, our, our purpose here, um, in St. Thomas is to get the students out of the cave. Mm -hmm. So no matter what your discipline is, um, that's, we're basically full-time search and rescue. Right. Um, yeah. that's what we're doing. And, um, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, but it's a, it's it's more complicated, obviously, than than what how Plato presents it in, in his brief account. But that's fundamentally what we're trying to do. Right. Um, while at the same time, all of us ourselves are still trying to get out of our caves. Right, and uh, because you you mentioned the um, difficulty of uh, getting out of the cave, um, there is an opposite story uh, to uh, Truman. If uh, if I can tell, sure, do please we have do. Time? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So. Um, there is also the problem of the person who somehow had some um, intellectual enlightenment, uh, who had an intellectual life, and who still falls in a cave. And uh, perhaps that pertains to that difficulty of coming back into the cave and not um, understanding very well the shadows and somehow applying you know, the ideas to particular situations. Right. Um, but I think it's even more than that. And uh, here I usually discuss a French movie, uh, Adele Age, um, okay. about the uh, real life of Adele Hugo, the daughter of uh, Victor mm. Hugo, the uh, French writer who um, mm. uh, authored uh, Les Miserables. Uh, Adele Hugo is a very talented woman. She has inherited the literary talent of her father. Obviously, she had uh, access to many books. She has read a lot. And after uh, reading so much, she is ready to pursue the true love. Uh, so, of course, we see there are mm. some, some commonalities between Truman and Adele, yeah. and love is one of them. Uh, so Adele um, is ready from day one to follow the ideal love. Unlike Truman, who um, mm. is still prisoner to comfort, Adele is ready to give up every kind of comfort. She is doing foolish things to pursue a man she uh, loves um, mm. without realizing or without wanting to accept that he doesn't love her. Mm. So uh, what nowadays we would call stalking, oh, no. <laughs> it, it goes as a, as a relentless pursuit uh, over the ocean. So she takes wow. a ship uh, from, um, from Europe to United States hmm. to follow this man. Although she had a water phobia just like Truman. Oh, wow. And that's, you know, <laughs> to me, that's what uh, makes her so, so appealing because huh. she, unlike Truman, she's ready to right. uh, to overcome this water phobia, she is hmm. very tough, uh, very um, uh, very determined to pursue the true love. 
However, she falls into her cave because, uh, of course, this whole pursuit is um, is a cave. It's not true reality. Uh, this man does not love her. So eventually, she uh, mm. loses her mind, oh, wow. and uh, she uh, she's following this man in the Barbados, where she is found by um, a local woman who takes care of her. Mm. Uh, she seems to know Victoria Go, so she writes uh, to him, mm. uh, telling him about his daughter and so on. So it seems that Adele in the end does find love, just not the one that she was pursuing, a different kind of love, a huh. maternal kind of uh, love. So so the lesson I think of, um, of this story, which is by the way, a true story, um, the lesson is that uh, we have to pursue ideas and we have to pursue the uh, uh, the big things with humility because I think what Adele lacks, mm. and this is not very clear, I think, in Plato, uh, but what Adele lacks is humility. And mm. that's where uh, our Catholic intellectual tradition steps in because we uh, pursue uh, the truth with humility. We don't... Um, uh, we don't ascend to the truth with the ambitions of the first-rate thinker. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, in, in your yeah. point there about you know, according where you, you know, uh, love and the good life in accord with the truth, they're really they're they're inseparable. Right. Mm -hmm. you, you can't found a pursue a, a real love or or a good life disconnected. Um, that's interesting. Um, well, could we? As a philosopher, as a historian of philosophy, I'm wondering if you could say a bit about philosophy um, as a discipline, but also I'm, I'm interested in the even the term philosophical. Mm -hmm. So philosophy is a discipline, you know, it's, it's objects, it's methods, you know, what, what, what are, what, what is philosophy as you understand it, but then it's, it's relation to other disciplines. I'm thinking theology, I'm thinking of the, the, the very ancient quarrel between the poets and the philosophers. Um, because in one sense, it, it can be it can be seen as a very, very, very narrow discipline, um, and it can be seen as a more expansive discipline, or it can mm -hmm. be seen as something that encompasses all the disciplines, mm -hmm. or most of the disciplines. So that you could you could speak of a kind of philosophical approach to science or a philosophical approach to politics. Would you mind just what, what do you think about those those ideas? Sure. Yeah. Uh, starting from Plato, the uh, knowledge of um, reality, the knowledge of the uh, nature of reality, of essences of things, and finally of these highest ideas, uh, mm -hmm. beauty, uh, goodness, and truth, uh, is the foundation of uh, every other kind of um, knowledge. Uh, you cannot become a good expert in a certain profession without this knowledge. Uh, so for Plato, this is uh, somehow a sort of preparation for the uh, particular knowledge that you want to acquire in a certain profession. So um, philosophy in that sense uh, stages, if you want, the um, um, uh, kind of uh, professional knowledge that every uh, student will pursue in, um, in mm. college. Um, and um, there is a sense in which uh, you cannot uh, fully understand a particular um, domain 
like biology, for instance, uh, without understanding the entire reality. So uh, philosophy is trying to steer every kind of uh, particular problem and particular domain into a larger uh, picture of, uh, of reality. For instance, uh, because you mentioned uh, the relationship with other uh, fields, uh, let's take biology. Um, the first philosophers, the Greeks, have uh, uh, reflected on the nature of life, what it means to be a living thing. Um, and uh, the uh, definition that Aristotle gives of life, uh, namely self-movement, uh, became very important also for biology. So a lot of the uh, insights that philosophy uh, gives are helpful for other disciplines. The same, of course, with psychology. I mean, uh, you sure. wouldn't have psychology without the theory of the soul. Right. Uh, you certainly have contemporary psychologists who would deny that with have a soul. But uh, it's... Uh, uh, it's just a historical oversight. Yeah, uh, sure. Psychology, you know, was uh, very much uh, connected with uh, the philosophical insight into uh, the human soul. Yeah. So, so basically, what? what I mean, this is that would be a thumbnail sketch, but to so in a sense, philosophy in its broadest sense is is really um, its task is to help us discover and counter you know, uh, come to, to almost face to face, if you will, with, with reality, mm -hmm. with the highest, um, highest, all of, the most encompassing reality possible. Um, and, but at the same time, a philosophical to say, to, to say that we're approaching certain disciplines philosophically, and I'm thinking here of the, the disciplines that constitute the core here at the university mm -hmm. to approach these, whether it's, um, art or science or mathematics or politics philosophically, mm -hmm. In some way, that would mean, I think, if I'm understanding you, is to to think about the discipline in relation to, to a much larger context of knowledge. Right. Um, yeah. And um, so it's, it's in a way, it's a kind of a part and whole. Right. Um, which brings us back to Gadamer, I think. <laughs> sure, yes. Hermeneutics uh, yeah. indeed does work with yeah. this uh, yeah. principle of uh, uh, reading. You know, the hermeneutic circle um, yeah. is basically reading the part uh, through, the, uh, through the whole and the whole through the parts. So yeah. in uh, seeing the connections between parts and whole in a meaningful way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, we're, we're going to um, talk again, but I, I'm very grateful for this conversation. And uh, thank you for, for, for your time. And um, uh, we'll have some show notes with various uh, links to things we've discussed here. So thank you so much. Oh, sure. Thank okay. you. All right.